and welcome to another special Scotsway podcast in collaboration with Edinburgh International Book Festival. My name is Alistair Braidwood and I've spoken to six spoken word performers for this Spoken Word Showcase podcast, which accompanies the Spoken Word Showcase event at this year's book festival. You'll soon find out who and all about what they do, but first I'd a chat with the director of the Edinburgh Book Festival, Nick Barley. I'm delighted to be joined now by director of Edinburgh Book Festival, Nick Barley. Hello, Nick. Hi, Alistair. So first question is, why did you decide to have an event focusing on spoken word performers? Well, a spoken word in Scotland is an incredibly important part of the, the literary scene here. But uh, it's been particularly challenging, I think, for spoken word performers during the last few years. Uh, obviously, because it's an, an, uh, a whole discipline that's based on live performance, it's been especially difficult for people to keep going. Um, whereas other kinds of poets can get books published or other kinds of writers can get books published, the, there's no publishing for these performers. And so they need live performances. And we wanted as soon as we possibly could to try and really celebrate the, the great work that's been going on since the lockdown. And what is it that excites you about spoken word, uh, the spoken word scene at the moment? Because it does seem to be a very exciting one. Yeah, I mean, look, the book festival, since I started back in 2009 at the book festival, we've always tried to support spoken word in Scotland. And we, we set up a, a set of events called Unbound, which were in our Spiegel tent back in the day. And I remember back in that first year in 2010, we had the Golden Hour, which was curated by Ryan Van Winkle and had Billy Letford. You know, some some po you know poets have gone on to become pretty significant in the poetry scene in Scotland, and uh, then we had Rally and Broad, uh, who are young Rachel McCrum and, and Jenny Lindsay. Over the years, we've supported a lot of them. But the really interesting thing about the live literature scene and spoken word scene is that it changes very rapidly. Uh, there's new generations that come through. So, for example, we had Noi Riki with uh, um, with Michael Pedersen, uh, and that's that's kind of coming to an end, and, and so. We really wanted to try to celebrate the next generation. And really, I suppose you could say that Loud Poets, which is Kevin McLean's project, represents the next wave of energy and the, the way, next wave of excitement in the spoken word scene in Scotland. And I think over the next few years, we're going to see Loud Poets really taking charge of what's going on. And, and so I really wanted to kind of support that. And that is a name which keeps coming up in conversations, definitely. I had some great nights in the Spiegel tent as well. It was always <laughs> the perfect end to a day at the book festival. Yeah. So I was going to ask you how you feel it's changed over the years. But of course, we've had two years where, as you've mentioned, people have not been able to perform. So, But it did seem to be having a trajectory where it was getting, uh, it was bigger and bigger. I don't Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, and I think, you know, Noi Riki with Michael Pedersen and Kevin Williamson, they really picked up on, on the, the interest in spoken in 2010s and they turned it into something international. They took it abroad. They went to New Zealand. I saw them performing in New Zealand. Absolutely incredible international platform for Scottish spoken word. Uh, and then the lockdown hit and, you know, it was a little bit of a pause. Yeah. Um, last year, actually, at the book festival, we invited a group from Aberdeen. Uh, the, the night was called Hysteria, and it was a, poet, a queer poet called Maid Dian Sangur, a queer night poetry night that, that they curated. And it was you could see that the the energy was there, 
but the, the availability of, of the platform was not. Yeah. You know, all we could do was offer them an online opportunity. Uh, so really, this is just the first chance we've got. And the fact that people can not very easily earn a living by publishing if they're a spoken word poet means that we desperately need to provide this platform. And so that's why uh, at the Book Festival this year, we're inviting um, producers from around Scotland and from around the UK to come and listen to these spoken word performers in the hope that they'll get commissioned for events around the UK and around the world in future. So when it is a spoken word showcase, it, that's exactly what it is. It's a, the, the chance for people to showcase what they do to people that might then, you know, use them in events. Yeah, exactly. And, and because it's so difficult to keep on top of the spoken word scene, um, that's why we wanted to, to work together with someone like Kevin McLean um, to try and really help us make sure that we were right at the, at the front line of it uh, with the people who are, who are doing great work around Scotland and I think over the next couple of years we'll continue to work with Kevin and try to build that confidence and trust among a new generation of spoken word poets at the book festival. And hopefully we'll see that curve that was going up with a little bit of stall continue to rise. I hope so I and mean, I think we have to be uh, very honest about the, the situation. Publishing, there's no doubt during, during the lockdown, publishing survived at the bigger level. So the bigger publishers, especially London-based publishers, did fine, but the smaller publishers struggled. And any performer, whether it's a musician or whether it's a poet, can, will tell you that they have had a very hard time. Freelancers, hardly uh, able to earn a living. And so we've really got to put a lot of energy into supporting their activities in the future. I was going to ask you why showcases such as this one are important but you maybe answered that already yeah I, I think uh, showcases such as this one are, are not just important they're vital if we're going to have a spoken word scene in Scotland and I'm fortunate enough to travel around the world and I can tell you that poetry slams that the discipline of the poetry slam mm. is, is one of the most important and urgent of, of all the life uh, performance disciplines because what it does is it gives access to people whatever their background it gives the people a chance to have a voice, to have a say creatively. Obviously, it comes out, out of a kind of music scene as well. And so very often, for example, I was in, in Rio, in the favelas of Rio, uh, the working class kids of Rio coming on stage and, and talking about their lives in a poetry slam. This is what gives them a sense of, of that they're part of society. And it's very much the same in Scotland. We've got to make sure that Scottish uh, spoken word and poetry slams are as vibrant and as supported as they are in the rest of the world and that's our job well nick i think that sets up the rest of this podcast perfectly many thanks for talking to me and i'm now joined by rapper and lyricist susan hello susan hello how's it going good really good so what can you tell us about your life as a musician so I got into making music, well, from quite a young age, but specifically kind of writing lyrics and the more hip hop side of things. Um, sort of as a teenager, really listening to a lot, a lot of that kind of music that was coming out of uh, coming out of the UK and kind of scenes down in London and that kind of thing. Um, quite a while ago now. So yeah, I've been recording and releasing music um, for oh, I don't know, probably going on, getting on for ten years now almost. Um, 
but re- really kind of doing it full throttle for the for the last maybe five or so. Um, I had a label that I was running with a few pals for a while called Scoop, which we did for a few years. Um, and now I'm just kind of focusing on being an independent artist and uh, and doing my own thing, getting a foothold in the industry. And right from the beginning, was there a performance aspect of it where you're always kind of doing stuff live? I've always loved performing. I mean, it's 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 fantastic buzz, you know, when you're when you're on stage and people are uh, are there and they're receptive and they're enjoying what you do. Um, it's just a great feeling. So, um, yeah, it's it's always been an impo- important part of the whole package is is the live performance for sure. And have you always done that with other kind of hip hop artists or musicians? Because the spoken word scene is quite varied. You know, we're we're talking to a variety of kind of performers. Um, have you found that yourself that you're often on on bills with people who are perhaps different to what you do? Um, it it does happen, yeah, it does happen, and I, I do always welcome it. And um, as well as people on the spoken word side, you know, musicians from lots of different genres, and maybe people who play different instruments and that kind of stuff. So there's definitely um, a lot of a lot of collaboration, and I think that's one good thing about the kind of hip hop scene and the rap scene and the ethos behind it is that it is built on a lot of those kind of collaborations and taking elements from a lot of different uh, schools of thought and a lot of different types of art and creativity and kind of melding them together has always been quite foundational to the to the um, to the genre itself. Yeah, I, I, that's what I've found is that there has perhaps more than other genres, there is a lot of collaboration between the people working in it. And which makes for, you know, kind of radically different music coming out. Mm, for sure. And there's a lot of people who have, you know, um, dipped toes or have been very successful from that rap scene and in, in, in other things that they do as well. I mean, you know, Darren, Darren McGarvey would be a prime example. Yeah. And, um, and Dave Hook, who we mentioned before as well, is someone who's, you know, kind of come from that background and gone on to do more exciting things with it. So there's definitely scope for that. And how have you seen it change over the years that you've been involved? I think, um, I mean, it's the kind of this, the scene has expanded massively since I've, I've been involved. Um, and people are a lot more willing to accept Scottish people rapping and, and Scottish voices being heard in that kind of context. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's definitely grown. Um, definitely grown a lot and there's a lot more kind of focus on it in the media and stuff now as well which I think is great um, so yeah I mean it, it, it's changed a lot and it's still changing even just in terms of the style of music that people are uh, people are making and I mean it's co- it's constantly evolving as a scene and I think I think it's great I think it's at quite a good point right now and if um, the kind of momentum and energy that's been put into it over the last couple of years keeps the keeps uh, snowballing then um, I'm expecting some good things from a lot of people yeah and I think particularly after uh, you know we've all been locked down or, or, or you know with COVID and everything that there's a real desire to go out and actually interact with people you know between the audience and the performer on stage sure and I think as well with um, with musicians and I'm sure with writers as well that kind of period of isolation and lockdown and COVID gave a lot of people a chance to, you know, get back in the studio, get back writing um, and actually produce a lot of the art, which then now that things are starting to open up, they can now, you know, they're hungry to go out and promote it and uh, and play those gigs, like you're saying. 
And have you been doing that since, you know, have you been out yourself and, and, and playing gigs? Yeah, I have. I, I did a little tour of Scotland called the, the warm-up leg tour um, in, uh, was it June, July? Um, so I did Glasgow, Edinburgh, Aberdeen, and then Brighton, um, which is where I'm living these days, um, off the back of that at the end, um, down the Rabbit Hole Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, shouts to Mark McGee, who's a fantastic promoter and the in the Scottish scene for organising that and um, yeah um, I've got an album coming I think probably around the time that this podcast gets released it'll be coming out so um, off the back of that I'm hoping to do another tour a slightly bigger one including some more you know major UK cities London and Bristol and that kind of thing so um, yeah come come see me. Excellent <laughs> and uh- have you got other people that when you're uh, out that you really admire? Are there, are there a few names that you could recommend to us? Oh, definitely. In terms of in terms of the rap scene, um, a good friend of mine and someone who I just think is incredibly talented um, from a writing perspective is a lad called Carpenter. Um, he's from Stirling, based out of Glasgow. Ridiculously talented writer. The, his use of metaphor and imagery, and just the the way he writes is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing some more collabs with him in future, and also just seeing what he puts out because I know he's um, I know he's got a lot coming, and I'm very excited to see it. So he would be one that I would recommend in terms of the the music side of stuff. In terms of the kind of more poetry and spoken word side of stuff, there's um. Iona Lee has got a book coming soon. I think mm-hmm. she just announced that her her first collection is getting published, which I'm sure will be fantastic. Iona's brilliant. Um, and B. Asha Singh is another one who I've seen doing a lot of spoken word stuff. And she used to do, I don't know if she's really still doing music, but she used to do some stuff with a, a group called The Honey Farm, which were kind of... Um, I, I don't want to say novelty because that has some implications that maybe don't apply, but they, they did kind of, um, yeah, not novelty, but um, I mean, yeah, maybe novelty, like there was humour in there. Yeah. Um, kind of electro beats and sort of tongue in cheek rapping, quite feminist, quite, um, yeah, it was good. So yeah, B. Asha is another one for spoken word who I, I yeah, I noticed it. actually that her uh, album, her solo album, which came out last year, it was on the eligible albums list for uh, the Scottish Album of the Year Award. So she's still making yeah, music fantastic. and people yeah. are sitting up and taking notice. It's fantastic stuff. Yeah, Finally, it's well, well deserved as well. Well deserved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Finally, could you give us an example of your work, if you could, if you don't mind? A little, uh, a little acapella recital. That would be great. Yeah. It's a bit weird. Usually I'm used to doing these things uh, with the mic and the sound system and the beats, but uh, yeah, I suppose we can. I'll do one from uh, the last release I did, which came out in February 2021 called Fizzy Milk. Um, It's available on cassette and you can also, um, with with the cassette, there's a little zine with all the lyrics written out and some original artwork and some fantastic photography by Danny Tentlegs. so yeah, I'll do a little piece from that. It's called 1912 April 2nd Belfast Harbour. It's a bit of a mouthful, but we'll get there. Um, so there's a little something like this. Heave, keep a sharp tongue, hard face and a frame like an R crumb. 
where days march strangely to far-flung drums off key whatever way your guitar's strung. Parlay, let the sharks come. Apart waves, Barbados to Khartoum, stains in a tarred lung, heart praise to the archangel of dark rum, sat sculling shots in a black parka. What's attracting this bad karma? 1912, April 2nd, Belfast Harbour, abandoned, abandoned the gallows, just call me Frank Carter. I keep jamming like your nan's larder. Hold your weesh if your tracks didn't bang harder. Can't barter with a higher power. But at least there's someone to talk to who isn't charging by the hour. Kind of sour. Something like bog butter and fizzy milk. Watching the moss cover the windy sill. Hold stocked up on box cutters and Mauritian silk. What a sick of dill. What a scenic view. Ghost white, honey gold, Hebridean blue. Shoes made of peat and glue, stuck with the backseat Fiat crew hashing out deets with the skiing do. Right, I think I've seen it too. Have you seen it too? I think I've seen a few. Heave, it'll never last. You can tell a rat cooking by the smell of cash. The crowd begin to heckle and he heckles back, hackles raised Baltic as ever it in Leningrad. Must have pickled his celeriac and left getting merry in a sherry cask. Bury me at sea for the crack. Spent a letter on a penny black. It's crude, but I hope you like the second draft. Wait for the nightmare. I'm out playing Ahab, chasing a white whale. Homing two ticks and a couple shakes of the nine tail. Bleach on porcelain, cutting lines in the lime scale. Memoirs of Bergamot. Top corner, 10 yards on my Berbatov. That's a red card. I went hard trying to stir the pot. Lost in a dead march. X marks the perfect spot. That's that, that one. Oh, that was great, man. Thanks so much for that. And thanks so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. And all the best for the Thank future. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for having me on, Alistair. Absolute pleasure. Now I'm delighted to be joined by poet and spoken word artist Noon Salah Eldin. Hello, Noon. Hello Alistair, lovely being with you. Pleasure to have you here. And first of all, can you tell us about your life as a poet? Um, so to me, poetry, I, I speak two languages, let me say that. I am originally from Sudan, born and raised, which is a country in the northeast of Africa. I came to the UK around maybe now, December is going to be six years ago to pursue um, a sort of postgraduate pediatric training. Um, and then coming to this country, I think uh, writing poetry has been a way of um, sort of an outlet and self-expression, just being away from home and trying to figure out like, you know, where I am at this point. Um, so um, I, I would say that maybe, I wouldn't say writing poetry comes naturally to me, but you know, I, I, was, I used to write poetry since I was 13 in Arabic, of course. And then 2018, that was when I started exploring and writing poetry in English. And yeah, and this is what essentially I've been doing, writing in both languages as well. Oh, so that's interesting. You're right, you still write in both languages. Yeah, I do. Like even in, in my writings, I could, uh, it will be in English, but then I will put some Arabic in it. And I love performing in Arabic because I think the language is so beautiful, like in the way that it's, um, it suppresses the feelings. My writing in English, because um, my poetry focuses sometimes on some sort of 
difficult issues you know it's exploring um mental health it's exploring sort of touches on you know uh, a bit of survivors of sexual abuse and then issues of migration and some political issues as well so some of the issues what i find english has empowered me to write in it more where like i, I wouldn't feel comfortable maybe writing it in my mother tongue um so as if i'm separating the both personalities if i'm um if i saying that right so maybe writing in english it's it's yeah it's it's just i found it empowering as well in in my other poems yeah that's really interesting to have that yeah kind of split of language and maybe even that helps you split your personalities in the way yeah, that you're writing it does it does indeed yeah, yeah. it does indeed and, and so how did you start to perform then? Did you only start performing when you were over here? Yeah, only when I was in Aberdeen in 2018. Because, uh, you know, just with a medical profession, you tend to move a lot. So I moved from Aberdeen and then, you know, Glasgow back to Liverpool. I thought about performing in Liverpool. That was 2017. But then we moved back to Aberdeenshire. That was in um 2018 I was heavily pregnant then 34 weeks and I was going through with a pregnancy I wanted to I think it's actually it was a call for me to stop to work on past issues um related to my childhood so um I was writing a poem that I called it Dear Inner Child and then uh my friend uh, singer and songwriter uh, Rebecca Dunn from Aberdeen she's the founder of uh Women's Open Mics in Aberdeen that was 2018 and they were celebrating International Women's Day so she I told her that I'm back to the Aberdeen Shire area and she said oh would you like to come and perform in this I was like I don't have something ready but I can work on something and I will come so yeah that was 2018. I, I performed there. And then there was the um, poet and spoken uh, word artist, Joe Gilbert, who was there. And she was greeting, like crying. And she said, oh, you have to come and perform in Speaking Word on Wednesday. And then I went to Speaking Word. And, you know, like I went multiple times. And by the end of it, I think that was November that year, I was the uh, spoken word guest for Hysteria event, which is an open mic as well in Aberdeen and that was just right yeah it was so so lovely since then you know like it's so empowering writing poetry is a thing and to be able to perform it and give it voice and make it alive and you know and see how that connects with other people and and to me even performing in Arabic because you know you st people still love it to hear you when you're performing in Arabic so that a bit of um um yeah it's it's it, it's very nice to feel that it's empowering for both me and I think maybe the people you know coming to approach me say oh we're we really felt uh, what you've been talking about earlier and it's very empowering so yeah it's 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 amazing I love reading and writing poetry yeah it's one of the the things that comes across is that often when it's something that's so personal to you but it's so it, they make the strongest connections often with the people in the audience yeah they do and you know like and I think in, in 2018 uh, in Sudan um, that was in December like I gave birth to my daughter in December as well and there was this big peaceful um, revolution and uprise in Sudan which out through like 30 years of you know the president was just a dictator 30 years of dictatorship and it was done so peacefully I could not my brothers and sisters were always there, were there you know I could not 
um, stop, like I could not participate in that, you know, uh, just being here as well. So poetry was my only um, way, like, you know, there was some sort of protest here on the streets of Aberdeen. So I strapped Miriam to my chest um, in the sling and I was performing, I, I performed my poem, The Revolution is a Woman. So just to talk about the revolution and the role of women in Sudan um, in the revolution as well. So yeah, I found it both comforting and empowering for myself. And I knew lots of people here in the streets, like something happening in Sudan, why do they have to care about it here? But you know, it's words, I, I believe that um, um, words can be very powerful as well. And my granddad, uh, my father once told me that a bee, be a voice to the voiceless so then I was 15 when he said that so I think I'm just carrying this with me like you know a voice could carry so much weight and power within it yeah uh, that's a that's a wonderful idea for that and does writing in Arabic then connect do you feel that connects you with your homeland as well it does it does yeah it does connect me with my homeland and you know I, I often put things that my dad has said there or culture things that I know um, only Arabic speaking people might understand it but especially people from Sudan because it's something that's just used as sometimes daily basis um, but yeah it, it feels good like sometimes I go to open mics and then I hear somebody clapping say yes salam which means well done in Arabic I was like oh somebody there so yeah and are there people you would recommend for us uh, who you have uh, admired on the spoken word circuit? Um, I would say, because um, I am from Aberdeen, like that would be me, despite living all around the places, I would still call Aberdeen home. Uh, so that would be, you know, the scene in Aberdeen, creative scene in Aberdeen. I think I arrived to it in 2018, but I think that was with the start of lots of, um, maybe the scene starting to um, flourish. So um, poets like, you know, they're, they're all wonderful. And my lovely, my lovely people as well. Joe Gilbert, you have Kimberly Pitray, um, May Diane Sango, Molly uh, McLachlan and Hannah Nicholson. So, you know, I think we're, everybody performs in a different way and sends um, their poetry has different messages, but you know, it's just so beautiful. And um, I think we we tend to advocate for each other as well. And um, the scene in Aberdeen, you know, like um, you could see the Aberdeen Art Gallery, um, you know, it's just trying to support uh, poets and spoken word and artists. Like, you know, I was amongst one of the um, artists who got the micro commission uh, for, it was a collaboration of an artwork between me and a ceramic artist in Aberdeen, um, Helen Love, and that was being showed in the gallery for six months. And then the Aberdeen Performing Art as well has been micro-commissioning um, artists. So yeah, I think it's it's a small city. It's not, it, we're not, um, it's not like a place, say London or Edinburgh or even Glasgow, but you know, I think we, we are doing well and, and hopefully uh, we would love to see other, you know, even young poets entering to the scene. That's so, so lovely to see them, yeah, as well yeah. flourishing. It is, and I think what's going on arts-wise in, in Aberdeen is really interesting, so it's great yeah. to hear that. And finally, could you give us an example of your work, if that's okay? Yeah, okay. This one is called Daughter to the Nile. I arrive at the airport 
Immigration lines, long, divided, cold. Anything to declare? Yes. I have two tongues in my head, wrapped carefully, home cooked meat so dogs won't smell. Suitcase, the closest home I have. My mother's DNA, courage and comfort. Home treasures, tenderly packed. Hibiscus flour, baobab powder, sesame oil, broad beans, kofti, my auntie's biscuit. Mangoes from Shendi, the sweetest may pride. Dates to last till Ramadan, Mama said. My earrings are my father's last words. Ahfazi Allah, Allah yahfazik. Keep Allah in your heart, he will keep you in his. I step outside, a big pink sign says, people make Glasgow. I had a brother, only 20 years old, survived the boat and open sea and fell apart in a lockdown hotel. I am here to collect the ashes. My birth home doesn't call me daughter anymore. This land doesn't call me daughter either. I am only daughter to the Nile. Thank you. Thank you. So this one is called Kanatifla, uh, which means she was a girl, and it's talking about girls' rights, you know, from um, live education and, you know, um, sort of FGM and encouraging the community uh, to look after the girls and invest in them. Kanatifla. كانت طفلة بتلعب وتجري وكل أحلامها تدبر وتدرس وتشوف بكرة كانت طفلة زي النجمة بتلمع وتضوي بس ببسمة كانت يوم بتلعب حجلة مع صحباتها في وسط الحلة وعلت الصرخة هجم الغول هجم الغول وضاعت طفلة اختصبت طفلة ماتت طفلة وفي مكان تاني اتولدت طفلة زاهية بهية من غير ما تزنب اتوصمت إنها غير شرعية وابتسمت لأنها طهرة نقية وفي مكان غيره طفلة شقية خدتوا الحنة في يدينا وشقوا رجولة بمية موس لا ميتانة ولا مسنونة وقالوا خلاص نطفت من جوا وحتت بتقية ويا أم أحمد دق المحلف في توب أحمد ونبهي أحمد ما يكون غايب عشان الدنيا مليانة مصايب وكلم أحمد إنه البتل في يده أمانة طفل الليلة وفرحة باكر بتعليمه وبتهزيبة بيت من نور من حقه الفاخر وكلمي أمه إنه بنيتها ماها رخيصة لا نظر الناس في الدنيا بقيسة سمحت معدن وسمحت ظاهر مهد القديسة وبتعليمه وبتهزيبة تبقى معلمة ولا أديبة ولا مهندسة ولا طبيبة أم وحبيبة طفل الليلة ونور يوم باكر وكلنا به حنبقى فاخر وكلمي أهلا إن الغول لا يمكن يهجم لو في باله إنه بيتقص والقانون منه بيقتص مهما كانت عالية وظيفته ولا مكانته عند ناس بيته كلنا طفلة فرحة يوم نو أمل يوم باكر وكلنا بيها حنبقى فاخر شكرا Thank you Thank you and thank you for taking the time to talk to us Noon I really appreciate it Thank you Alistair Thank you very much I really enjoyed being in this interview with you I'm joined now by poet Angie Strachan. Hello, Angie. Hi, hi, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Good. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> no problem. So can you tell us first about your life as a poet and a spoken word performer? All right, okay. Well, I think I've always been a poet at heart, which sounds very poetic in itself, but I kind of first had a love of poetry, firstly through my gran, who um, would write her own poems and we would... Uh, try to kind of come up with wee ideas for poems and things like that. 
And then um, when I was at secondary school, I was one of the geeky kids that was in the Burns Club. Um, I went to school in Irvine, so I was in the Irvine Royal Academy Burns Club. And I spent a lot of my early teenage weekends um, going around uh, care homes reciting burns to people um, and singing songs because I like to sing as well um, and I get involved a lot in um, burns recitation competitions with my brother <laughs> which was interesting and um, which is you know interesting as well because later on um, in my performance poetry career I've been involved in slams so it's a, you know, just kind of kind of going back to way back when I was a teenager and kind of going forward from there. But um, yeah, I've been writing and performing poetry on and off now for about just over six years within the spoken word scene. So I didn't actually start to write again. I, I would dabble in a wee bit of writing with my gran and, you know, more kind of creative writing um, yep. when I was younger. But then I kind of go into the world of work and then I left work and had babies and all the rest of it. So it wasn't until my late 30s before I started to, um, to write. And I've always had an interest in theatre. Um, so um, I, I kind of naturally fitted in being able to, you know, kind of mixing the two together, the writing and the theatre. Um, so, yeah. But I've had, you know, some success over the past six years, not so much in the past couple of years with the pandemic going on, mm. um, you know, which is, you know, understandable. You know, there's not a lot of opportunities when you're used to performing in front of people, you know. Um, and that's why I kind of took a wee break in the past year and went back to study again with the OU. Um, but um, I performed with the Loud Poets. Um, I performed with the Poetry Circus at the Fringe. Um, and one of the other things that I've done as well, um, and I kind of get into it because one of the reasons why I kind of started to write again in my late 30s is I live with a depressive disorder. So I started to write funny poetry to cheer myself up. I did write some things that were a bit deep, but yeah. I don't like my deep poetry because right. it's a bit depressing. <laughs> again, I keep that away, you know, um, and I tend not to be able to write if I'm kind of in that mood, but if I'm in a kind of playful, funny mood, and writing poetry is, you know, play, you know, kind of performance is play itself, and that kind of, um, that's where I maybe kind of, my kind of comes out sometimes to be a bit kind of out there is because I like to, I like to be free to kind of just have fun and be childish with it. Um, so I kind of started writing um, to do about that. And then I kind of get involved with an organisation that would go into um, would go into workplaces with a little show. And it would be kind of a little show on how to deal with mental health in the workplace. And then I kind of, uh, one time I kind of showed the lady that was running it some of my poetry and says, well, why don't you try out some of your poetry at some of these kind of events? So I did, and it was way back to my poetry from years and years ago. So it was things like a self-care box and, and stuff like that. And eventually kind of developed to poems and stress and things. But I really enjoyed performing my own work because before when maybe I was involved with the um, with the theatre, I was maybe kind of doing Shakespeare or Chekhov, and that's lovely to stand in somebody else's shoes, but to perform it and have an interaction from an audience, you know, is it's amazing. There's it's it's electrifying. Um, I, mean, I have a poem about a supermarket um, that sells lots of different kind of random things, 
and you probably can imagine what win it is now. Um, and people will come up to me at the end of it and say, do you know what I bought in there before? I bought a pizza oven and I bought this. And there's something lovely about that. Um, and yeah, so kind of performance just kind of came together. Um, and it kind of got to the point where I was enjoying going to open mics and trying it out. And then I was getting a wee bit of work. And I sat at the dinner table one day with my mum and I said, that's it. I'm going to be a poet from now on. That's me. That's who I am. Um, and my mum says, oh, what are you into now? <laughs> I've tried many things over the years. Like, all right, Angie. Oh, OK, that's fine. You know, <laughs> one of your other things. But it's actually stuck with me for a while. And it's it's something I feel now it's a bit of my identity, yeah. which sounds um, a bit kind of self-absorbed. But, you know, people know me as a poet yeah. you know um and uh, you know it's just it's who I am and it's who I want to be and I get frustrated with it sometimes you know I fall in love with it I fall out of love with it um you know but it, it's given me so much um so yeah that's that's what I'm going to do for the next wee while <laughs> well till I die really <laughs> that's that's me that's <laughs> like that idea of you kind of performing in front of an audience with stuff that is personal to you, you know, mm -hmm. and but then making that connection with people in the audience. I think yes. that's something that spoken word does perhaps better than anything else, you know, because yes. you're kind of laying your own thoughts out there, you know, for people to kind of take on board. And then uh -huh. on, often it's the most personal stuff that people seem to really make a connection with. Is that yes? Yeah, yeah. There's something nice about writing spoken word poetry as well, because although quite a lot of my poems are funny, um, I don't want to just be funny. There's something lovely about being able to be, to make people laugh and cry. Yeah. And I'd like, to, I'd like to think that I've maybe got a poem. In fact, I think I might have one that does that. Um, not that I want to make people miserable, of course. Um, but, you know, the human condition isn't just made up of, um, you know, it's either just funny all the time or it's either just really sad and serious all the time. There's so It's so complex and there's so many things to it. And I think that's what poetry does. It doesn't kind of necessarily put itself in a box as being, um, you know, and I wouldn't like people to say to me that I'm a, um, a comic poet or, you know, um, I'm a poet that just writes about mental health or I'm a poet that just... You know, as a spoken word poet, I'd like to think that I'm I'm all of these different things because I create I get my inspiration from all these different places. Yeah. So a poem lives with me. It kind of haunts me sometimes, you know, and it's frustrating because I try to stick to write and practice, but that's not always possible. Um, you know, the poets are really disciplined. You can get up in the morning and go to a certain place and you know, write a certain place. I've got every admiration for them and I've got lots of admiration for poets that I know that can sit down and come up with a poem that's publishable in seven minutes. You know, I, I know some amazing people that can do that. I can. A poem comes to me as a, as a refrain or an idea and I write it down and sometimes that lives with me for years, <laughs> you know, till there's a kind of moment where I'm feeling excitable and I'll write it or there's a um, or maybe sometimes if I'm angry about something I get it down on sometimes I type it in my phone and I write it in wee notebooks I've always got notebooks with me in fact I've got a thing about notebooks they're all over the house but um, I'll kind of write it down and then um, I'll, I'll work on it later 
I'll leave it and I'll work on it later. And sometimes my poems evolve over time. You know, I, that's maybe why I like them for the air because I can perform them in the air and they're not set in stone in a book. And later on, if I think, actually, there's something else that's happened here that would make this poem, you know, that wee bit more interesting or something, I can do that because it's really as its wee moment in the air. Um, but the other thing that I'd like to say that I've noticed, um, kind of coming back to performing, you know, open mics and things like that after the pandemic, is that sometimes my poems need a chance to live. They need, they need to have their moment. Yeah. Um, so there was a poem that I wrote that was very personal about, um, about my illness. And I had it in a book for ages and I didn't want to perform it because I didn't want Oh, you know, I didn't, I just didn't feel right performing it. And yeah. I probably had performed before years ago, but I felt this poem needs to get out there and then that's it. And then I can put it by. It needs its moment. Mm -hmm. So I performed it at an open mic and then I just kind of put that poem by now. I don't know if I'll ever do anything with it again. But I needed to get, I needed to give it its opportunity to be out there because it was a kind of self-expression at the time. Um, uh, you know, I, and I felt that I needed to give it justice, you know. So I've kind of, and I'm quite, I'm very critical about my poems as well, even though sometimes I think, oh no, I've got, I've got to have a poem for this open mic or I've got to have a poem for this gig. And I'll just, you know, bring something to it because, you know, fortune favours the brave. Um, but sometimes uh, I'm really critical about them and I've got loads of poems. I'm like, I don't really like that. I don't really like this. But I've now decided that I'm going to respect them a wee bit more because sometimes they're, they're just kind of sitting there waiting to get, you know, polished a wee bit. <laughs> you know, they maybe just need a wee bit of love, There's you know? The really <laughs> interesting things about that is, one, you feel that if you're not honest, it doesn't really work, which I think is very mm -hmm. interesting. Two, I think most people who don't do any kind of spoken word thing or theatrical thing mm -hmm. would think you'd be more worried about that than on the page you know yeah. on the page is kind of almost anonymous not quite but you know uh -huh. whereas you're really out there uh -huh. and, and uh, also you're talking about your poetry which is lovely almost like a living thing like you have yeah. to respect and treat mm -hmm. well and show kindness to and give yeah. it and all those things it's absolutely yeah. fascinating yeah uh -huh. that would be a perfect time for you to give us an example of your work yeah okay um well i wrote this oh gosh, a good few years ago, um, to help me get over the fact that I'd stopped smoking. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't stop smoking and I started again. I stopped smoking and I started again. So there probably could be a book of poets. <laughs> Not a book of poets, a book of poems about that. Um, and it's called Dear Mr. Bertley Menthol. I miss her evenings looking at the moon. I miss our times in the garden contemplating reality. I miss socialising with others with similar interests. I miss our secret interludes in secluded car parks. I miss the scent of you dancing a tango with the perfume in my ear, the sweet and acrid and hidden harmonies. I miss drinking white wine and coffee before they only remind me of you. I remember all those years ago when you were not in, allowed in bars. I stood by you outside. For you took this Doris Day and you made her feel like Marlena Dietrich. I crave for your caress in my lips. I gave you my breath, let you have my body from the inside out, addicted to you. I miss you. 
but your love was toxic. It was tainted with arsenic and the stuff they put in paint thinners. You gave my lungs a dose of the carboxy hemoglobin. I would have been better off licking car exhausts. And in my darkest and deepest and most vulnerable moments, you took advantage of me with a control that made me feel that I just could not cope by letting you go. My friends never liked you. They told me you were no good for me. I have listened to them. For a while they were getting new kitchens, holidays to Disneyland, gym memberships. I spent all of that on you. Over the years, £10,197.52. Is that what you were really worth? I lied to mask the amount of times we met in a day, three, eight, ten, and twelve. I even lied to my husband about our fatal affair. In the end, he tolerated it as long as I kept it away from the house and the children. And although he knew we were together before I met him, he was disappointed when you came back, my betrayal and monogamy. And I'm surprised he's still with me now that you've given me wrinkles and jello teeth. It's been over a week now. I'm in talking therapy. It's really hard to know that you've been running around with everyone else in that group. They listen, they patch me up. It's supposed to be a substitute, but it's not the same, for I still think about you. Since you've been gone, I have drank 16 litres of water, found the partners to 32 pairs of socks, knitted a scarf, sucked in 180 polo mints, walked my dog until his joints became arthritic, listened to clean 43.5 times I want to break free. The longest three seconds of my life was when I heard the words, come on baby, breathe. So that is why I must let you go. For 20 or possibly 10 years down the line, when I am made one of your two, I don't want my son to hold my hand and say, come on, mummy, breathe. Thank you. Oh, that's fantastic. As an ex-smoker <laughs> myself, I really get that. <laughs> yeah. It's been so great to meet. And oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Next, I'm joined by rapper and lyricist Empress. Hello, Empress. Hi, Alistair. So first of all, can you tell us about your life in hip hop and as a performer? Um, yeah, so my life so far has been quite interesting um, as a hip hop artist and performer. I've got to, I've got to do some amazing things. Um, I have ran some youth workshops, which I never ever thought I'd ever be doing, but that's something that's brought a lot of uh, joy to myself and to those who participated. Um, I've managed to play some amazing venues in Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, I've collabed with some amazing people um, and yeah I've just I've been having a lot of fun while I've been doing this so it's been very interesting it's opened up a lot of doors and opportunities that I never never probably would have had um, had I not stepped into the world of, of rapping so yeah. Like a couple of things which are interesting there one the kind of education side of it you know running workshops and things like that and that seems to be increasingly important you know that you're kind of there's different generations are talking to each other. Definitely, definitely. And it's it's very interesting. I always say that I'm there to sort of teach, but I end up learning a lot more um, from the kids and from the, the folk that come along to the workshop. So it's it's fascinating and it teaches me a lot. Um, but yeah, it's very exciting. It's good to see. And the other thing is collaboration. I think for me anyway, looking in from the outside, there's been increasing amounts of collaboration in the last few years or so. Is that right? Definitely, definitely. I mean, myself alone, I, I just collabed with Nova not that long ago. Um, she's an amazing artist. Um, so we, we put a song out, Baby Girl, um, which was, yeah, that, that was that was something I'm very proud of. Um, I've collaborated with Loki, Darren McGarvey, of course. 
um, Steg G, the Glasgow Barons, um, a fantastic orchestra from Govan. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got some more stuff in the pipeline as well. So that's going to be very exciting. Um, I always love it when rap fuses with other, Aye. you know, um, forms of, of music and rapping in an orchestra was something, again, I never thought I'd do, but I've done it twice and I'm looking forward to doing it again. I think that's very true, that kind of crossing of genres, you know, people who are maybe into electronic dance music and then they bring in a hip hop aspect or even also, as you say, with orchestras or classical, it seems to be that folk are breaking down the barriers between genres and trying something new as well. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's how we can progress, um, you know, as, as a whole in the Scottish music industry, or, you know, as, as to work with each other, because we're always stronger when we work together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm just thinking now of uh, even in jazz, a lot of the younger jazz musicians are, are, are doing things with hip hop artists as well. Yeah, oh, I love a bit of jazz. Like, I can't yeah. wait to get my teeth stuck into that as well. <laughs> But that's why it's exciting. So, but first of all, how did you get into performing to begin with? Um, to be honest, Alistair, I get into performing um, just by being booked for a gig. I was more than happy um, to just stay writing in my room and putting the odd track up on SoundCloud. Um, I mean, I, I love to perform, but ironically, I don't like attention, which is kind of like, I'm trying to get the balance right. I'm still trying to learn how to navigate that, but um but yeah, I was more than happy to just sort of make visuals and make videos. I love to make videos. Um, I love to do all that. But I got booked for a, a, a boat party. Mark McGee, uh, who does You Call That Radio, um, he used to have these sort of infamous boat parties on Loch Lomond. And he booked me for one in 2017. And I haven't stopped since. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's how I got into performing. Yeah. And... Although you've kind of mainly in the kind of hip hop scene, have you done spoken word events as well, where there's been a kind of mix of people performing? Yeah, I've done I've done many different events. So I did Sonic Youth as well. Sonic Youth with Kevin Coday and, and Kat Hepburn, amazing writers. Um, we sort of did three nights. So it was Stirling, Edinburgh, um, which I played the Gilded Balloon, which was an amazing, amazing venue. Um, and then the homecoming gig in Glasgow, which was just amazing. And that was still a different acts. That was sort of... Um, I think Amelia Baylor, um, there was a few others there that was, you know, mostly spoken words um, and other types of music. But yeah, um, yeah, I've done quite a few of those gigs, a, a variety of, of acts. I think that that's what the spoken word uh, events really do well, because they bring people together. No matter, you know, there's poets, there's other writers, there's performers, there's hip hop, there's whatever, other musicians. And Sonic Youth do it, Noiriki do it, many others have further back. And maybe that's why people are willing to kind of uh, collaborate more because they're, they're hearing different things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's good for hip hop artists to be involved in those kind of variety nights because sometimes hip hop acts just get used to sort of being around each other and that kind of wee bubble, which is great. But it's also good to go out and see how other artists do it, how other spoken word performers do it. Um, again, I mean, I have to tip my hat to Victoria McNulty. She, um, she's somebody I admire greatly. Her, her way with words is just fantastic. But she got me involved um, in that sort of scene and kind of pulling me to do different things. Um, so I'd suggest any, any hip hop act needs to get out there and cut their teeth, maybe in doing a wee bit of theatre or a wee bit of, you know, something different. Yeah. I was going to, I mean, you've maybe answered this a bit already, but I was going to ask you how the hip hop scene has changed over the years for you, but is it just a sense of maybe being a bit more collaborative and imaginative? 
yes, definitely, definitely. That's that's something that's come through, I think, as well. You know, seeing Scottish hip-hop and, and spoken word becoming more diverse, and it's great. It's fantastic to see. For me, personally, um, the fact that there's more women involved in rap now is amazing. Um, there'll never be enough women for me, but the fact that there's a lot more of us doing it. You've got Nova, Kushgal, Sweet Rogue, um, many, many others, and it's just, it's, all, it's always going to grow from there. So that's the best part for me, is seeing more women involved. And that's an interesting point, because even though you said you started 2017, which isn't that long ago, you must have been about one of a few women that were doing it at the time. Well, apart from Erin Friel, which for me, she doesn't get sort of um, shouted out or, or recommended enough, but Erin Friel is a fantastic rapper and she can sing as well. Um, and, and she's just so real with it. You know, she was one of the only voices that I knew at the time, apart from myself, that was that was sort of doing it. And um, yeah, fair play, Erin. She's, um, she's been doing it probably a wee bit longer than me. Um, and she's she's fantastic. So yeah, um, growing from there and, and seeing how it's grown, it's, it's amazing. One of the good things about doing these uh, podcasts is getting great recommendations from everyone, you know. Is there, you've mentioned a few names. Is there anyone else that you'd like to ask to look out for? Yeah, so Erin Thiel, definitely a sweet rogue. Um, she's also one to watch CCTV, a um, couple of boys from Govan. Um, they're amazing with their live performances. Um, they've worked with Steg um, on a few of the orchestra albums as well. Um, and a boy from Cope Ridge called Gluco. It used to be called Gmo. But he's now called Gluco and he's yeah, very, very great, great potential, great potential in, in a lot of these young artists coming out now. And finally, would it be okay if you give us an example of uh, your work? I know with hip hop, that's a bit of an ask because you usually get music with it. But, you know, yes. is that possible? Yes, I'll try and omit some of the swearing. So, uh, yes, uh huh. That'd be great. Um, okay. Um, honey dip dip, I'm smooth like butter, baby. My style and drip drip, you know you're gonna love the lady. And I don't do the games, so do not try and play me. Success story, go and see the stuff I've done lately. Banging on a panel with my fellow sinister geeks, banging down to the minister where she's giving a speech. Work, can you hear me? Yes, quite clearly. See the gold shining, so the demons gonna fear me. Trust this, I bust this, the gallus is the pros. I bump it, no junk it, man, handle your foes. A badass with ballast and baddest the flows. Hats after my style, because it's very, very dope. The tortoise in here, that's the story it goes. The tortoise rode slow, but she stole the whole show. This is a metaphor for my life, yes, yeah, so you know. And I guess it's heavy jokes, I just impressed them with the flows. Peace. Oh, <laughs> thank fantastic. You. That was excellent. Empress, thank you so much for talking to me. I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Alison, and thank you for all the support as well. I really, really appreciate it. Thank and I'm now joined by poet, theatre maker and Gaelic arts producer, Rona MacDonald. Hello, Rona. Hello, Alison. Nice to see you. And you. And you. So first of all, can you tell us about your life in the arts, I guess, because you've got a few hats there that you do. How did you first get into it? Oh, well, it's never really not been with me. I don't think I was born in Uist. Uh, South Uist, um, my family is a family of storytellers and pipers and singers, um, brought up in the croft. Um, and I suppose as an only child, I had to find my own stories and get lost in the landscape a bit as a child on my own. But also coming from where I come from, I suppose there's a big epic backstory from the clearances, Jacobites, the clearances and lots and lots of cultural wrongs and I suppose it's always these stories 
have always I've always carried them forward, as Hamish Henderson would say, the yeah. the carrying stream of and what how it manifests in me is I think still manifesting. But I think that's the early thing. I think I I I come from a place where speaking uh, about your culture or about um things that have happened historically is completely natural and and sometimes it's a big chip on my shoulder because mm -hmm. it's something you're carrying a you're carrying a you're carrying a massive big um what's the word I'm looking for you're carrying it's such a responsibility I think and right. I ha I really hadn't realized that until quite late on in my life I think um and then I suppose so that's that's my early life on South Hughes my father was a piper my Auntie Rona is a singer and expert in cantharach and piping and my grandmother recorded 400 songs for the School of Scottish Studies and accessible on Tober and Dolachas and her uncle Angus MacLennan, the furrow behind me, um, a well-known book of stories from the island. So I carried that with me, left the island for educational purposes at the age of 15. And the first thing you do is because you're not given any worth or any value to your culture or your language is you leave it all behind you because you think that's what you want to do. You just disappear. Uh, you want to be anonymous also from an island culture. So I came to the city, went to university. I didn't really start speaking Gaelic again from the age of 15 till I was about 29 right. when I had my first child. And it's not until that moment that you start asking yourself, who are you? Mm -hmm. What have you got? What are you going to give that child? And that's when I started showing, retracing the steps and finding a place for, um, I suppose, who I was. I'm still trying to do that. And I think that's what happens in a minoritized, suppressed culture is there's no, it wasn't like I went, oh, I want to be a performance poet at the age of mm -hmm. 18. And I went out and did some risks. I'm 55 <laughs> and <laughs> I'm still trying to find I'm not trying to find a platform, but I'm, I am i don't feel I need to, but I just don't express myself in that, oh, this is what I am and what I want to do. I just, it's who I am. And right. It's still emerging. So, yeah, you, you can't split what you do with who you are. It's absolutely all part of it. And I think that idea of of having, of, of going away to really think more closely about where you're from is an interesting one as well. Yeah, I think I, I, I think on so many levels, but even just an island, you have to get on a body of water to get there mm -hmm. and you have to get on a body of water to leave there. And in that process, it's it's it's, uh, you know, I've, I've always found that poetic. It's a moment for reflection. It's you know, you can't just drive. I can't if something happens to any member of my family, I can't just drive to the island. I have to look at the ferry times and the weather. And, you know, uh, and same for leaving. When you leave, you know, God, when am I coming back to this place? You know, it's, I, I, I you know, Runrig say quite poetically, in the circle of life, but they're talking about the ocean, you know, getting there and getting back. And in terms of um, spoken word performing, how did you first get into that? Were you, were you performing from the beginning with your work or did that come later on? Uh, not at all, Alistair. It's not. It's less. It's less about the performance for me, and it's about when the words come. And 
um, you know, there's a big history of poets within Gaelic culture way back to the clan system and when the chief had their own poet and, you know, they were filly bards and they were just people who were trained for 10 years to be these sort of poets. And that's not me at all. I am not, uh, I, I'm what you would call the bar, uh, a poet of the village, Barst Javala, where if something happens or if I'm moved to say something, that's when the words come to me. I don't sit down to to create my work before I perform it. It just that's how I started, and um, I was probably it was probably about only ten years ago. Um, there was a political thing happening on the island, and my child was in a piano lesson, and I was outside, sort of furious and fuming, and I just somehow wrote something, and then. Um, then I started doing more. So like a Barsh Bala, I don't know if you've heard of a Barsh Bala, but it's somebody dies, but there's a, a celebration or there's an event or something. And I feel I have to say something about it. And um, and, and I suppose when you talk about performance poetry, I should probably let you get a word in edgeways. No, no, it's, no it's, this is for you. <laughs> but um, you talk about performance poetry. So like I come from Cayley culture and Cayley culture is quite... Um, egalitarian platform it's not about one person standing up and doing something it's about everyone on the same level and everyone taking a turn and even the people who are sitting in silence or even the people who are fueling the fire with a with a fat monia with a lump of peat are part of the Kaylee. it's all part of the same experience and so that's the way i see it if i've got if i'm at a Kaylee and i have to take a turn you know, I'll I'll use my words, and uh, that's what I'll do. People invite me to come and perform my poetry, um, uh, and uh, that that has got varying levels of comfort for me. You know, I'm very happy to perform, but in terms of what the culture of where I express myself, I'm happiest in a Kaylee context. And you know, we've said that you're you're involved in theatre as well, and what you've described there sounds like theatre with the audience involved. Uh, absolutely um you know you're uh you're you're all sitting in a circle <laughs> you could be complete silence looking at the looking at the fire somebody sings a song somebody tells a story somebody starts talking about um uh, sl slunyugs that it's, it's your um you you a patronomic name where you come from who you are in Gaelic there's a thing where are you from but they're really asking who are you? Who do you belong to? So that you, they can make connections with you. And that's what happens around a Cayley fire, you know, or that's what happens in a Cayley space. It's not about dancing at all. <laughs> it's about it's about sharing time. You could be knitting it at the Cayley. And that provides, in answer to your question, such a great platform for theatricality and theatre. And I'm really interested in uh, theatre in, in a Cayley format. And is there anyone else uh, that you would recommend we watch out for who's doing... Maybe not the same as you, but you know, in, in a, from a similar background. Um, well, it's a good question. Um, and let's see now. There are so many great young artists appearing, and I see more uh, new actors than I do anyone else. But I suppose in Gaelic, if you're an actor, you tend to be a singer, and you tend to be somebody that can lift a pen and write some words. And, uh, and and recite some poetry. Um, there's a young woman in Edinburgh, she's, she wouldn't call herself a poet, she's an actor, Elspeth Turner. Um, she's 
learned her Gaelic. You know, her father had Gaelic and she's gone back and learned her Gaelic. She's now raising her family. And yeah, I, 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 I love her work as an actor. Mm -hmm. Well, I think now would be, if you don't mind, the perfect time to, for us to hear an example of your work. Um, I've chosen a, a piece called Archipiaich and Kamask uh, 2, uh, it's called actually, uh, and they're about my interventions, interactions with the wonderful plant that is called Gorse, that beautiful yellow prickly thing. Archipiaich, er cool nebenye and anachir horakin. Tuvenowing, Nochku, Irmalia, Ranach, Spelchje, Bami Hasnam, Hattle, Boch, Fluker, Majirnach, Am Nutter, Mi Hallerach, Mi Rickerach, A Macher came in a kele, Horsish in a stre, Gananal, Crea in Skialach, get a Vrischug, a hui. Lishener, a Tanakug, the Lacht me in Connusk. Slaich mu a ru holisha buye ayach irkulev van a fluren viliak larger and nischid a frunnel for has irin jo skribug lene drishakan buye achke hook the reishk graim riantanach irmanal drame gesen be solace in etrug Ir a horsgeras, ir car na matne, is drach, gam hachnach, gamisk mach na jiachnach. Ir a kasen rusje, a crown shin shears and crock, sin scrap in the benet, shinye a coyet, ir fierig, a shirig itch, and a clachen garlier, sloppach. And the nature of the people who are in the world are living in the world. And the people who are living in the world Wild spot. In some outback spot by the river, you reached my brachend, mistrodden path. I was still sleeping, forgotten, slightly sodden in mismatched, ill-fitting clothes. So out of step we climbed, their storyline breathlessly broken. In the thinning air I caught the gorse, its perfect fluorescence inked my blood. Behind us, the strong, now blotted petals were crushed and foot, scratched by their yellow shards, your bristles on my whiskey breath took purient hold, so that by the morning cairn the light reclaimed, your eyes did not meet mine and the amnesic Thicket lifts. We scramble barefoot in a mountain scree, glancing sideways, searching for ruby in loose granite rocks. Somewhere near the same wild spot, an uncertain wind picks up, and on a remote island, a child is dancing free in the wild, newest wind. Thank you so much. That was great. Rona, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Alistair. I'm now joined by poet, writer and performer Colin Maguire. Hello, Colin. Hello, Alistair. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. 
First of all, can you tell us about your life as a poet and performer? Yeah, I mean, it goes way back. I mean, because obviously I'm from Glasgow, but I, I live in Edinburgh and Leith. Been here for about 12 years now. Uh, and it goes back further than that. I, in fact, one of the first times I remember is I wrote a wee short story when I was a, a kid. And I got the yellow pages out and I phoned the first publisher and was like, I would like to publish this short story. And, and I remember they said, hold on a wee minute. And they went away and never came back. And in some respects, I think I'm still holding the line. Uh, and that's so all that was way, like as a child writing mm -hmm. um but yeah we started to perform with like the 2010 maybe even before that in glasgow there was chayovna cafe and things. yeah i know it yeah ah, there was one in the south side and one in the west end and i it was just i had this interest in language and I, and the thing is, I was diagnosed as dyslexic, which turned out to be a misdiagnosis. Right. Apart, I know, yeah. And apart, so I've spent the whole life thinking, I've got a problem here. Uh, but it turns out decades later that there's a mistake. I don't know if that's entirely true or how they managed to work that out. But uh, yeah, I've always had this capacity for uh, language and words and communicating and far too talkative and applying that to the page. And you mentioned uh, performing in, in, in Chayovna. Was that the kind of first time that you were reading your own work or were you doing that before? Uh, yeah, no, that really was the first time. And I was so nervous. And there were even times I remember going to a few events in Glasgow before I moved to Edinburgh. So like the early 2000s, I don't know, 2005, six, seven, eight, nine, that I would arrange to go and read and I would not turn up yeah. because I had the fear yeah. of performing like really quite intense and you, you can't imagine it now. But yeah, the, you know, you have harnessed a lot of that nervous energy and yeah, but I, so doing a bit of performing way back then, but often with a lot of fear. <laughs> It's a really um, a controlling thing if you have that kind of anxiety of getting on a stage, but you've got stuff that you want to say. It can be really problematic, I think. Aye, it's strange to think that, that I would go to events and sometimes sneak out before I got to read. Not often, but it is at the very early stages. I remember that, like, analyzing, thinking about it too much. But I wasn't afraid of, of the stage. Well, I, I developed... Uh, yeah, the confidence to do it. And the more I done it, in fact, like I guess it's when you perform, you get a kind of a rapport or you notice the response from an audience and you have that wee moment, that light bulb moment of just, oh, like I'm getting a good response here. This feels right. This makes sense. And then when you move through to Leith and Edinburgh, I presume there was already kind of thriving spoken word scene there. Did, did you find it easy to kind of move into that? Aye, yeah. So many nights uh, when I moved through to Edinburgh as well, you know, we used to have the Forest Cafe mm -hmm. that's now no longer. Yep. Uh, and yes, yeah, so many 
uh, Blind Poetics, um, which was up in the Blind Poet, which is no longer about. Aye, there was just so many nights. I even ran a night myself called Talking Heeds. Um, and I, it was through performing again, that, like it is, it's just a natural thing. It was through performing that people seem to respond and ask you to do things and get involved more uh, in the community, if you like, the wider community of writers and poets and performers and build it up. I guess people take to you or like your work, like what you do. And you've been doing it, as you say, for a while and sounds like getting more and more involved. Yeah. Is it growing? Do you feel like the spoken word scene has grown? I, I mean, it's, it's it's definitely developed and evolved. There's just so many writers now. Anyone can obviously be a writer. You just have to say you're a writer. And so many nights that opened up that, uh, I, I don't know quite. Yeah, there's just so much going on. Uh, and even during the pandemic, there were events online, cabarets online, and maybe the first year of it, 2020. So it's definitely grown. Although recently a lot of events have shut up shop, like Sonnet Youth in Glasgow with Kevin Peagle Day and Kat Hepburn. Noi Riki are about to take a break for a while, Michael Pedersen and... Yeah, so there's a few events kind of taking a back seat, but there's still, like, the, the event that comes to mind of the organisation is the Spit It Out Project, Spit It Out Collective, with uh, Biasha from the Honey Farm. Yep. And that was an amazing event down uh, at the Assembly Roxy. Mm -hmm. and seen so many sort of young up and coming as that you know uh, or just newer poets that I've uh, I've heard of but hadn't got to to see or perform with because of the pandemic of doom yeah. yeah it was interesting you say that they still managed to do some online things because I do know particularly I sat in on a few of the Sonic Youth ones that were still going at the time but Mm. people that are kind of now back out there and performing live again, which I think is what everyone, uh, you know, has been looking forward to. I know, I know. I, it's true. There has been a lot going on. Part of me still feels slightly trapped because I work from home still. Yeah. And I never, like, everyone's travelling or going about and I'm like, I can't get out of my flat. Hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that first event, the, it was part of the iFestival, Spirit Out Collective was great, and there's some good poets there like Hannah Lavery, Sean Lyon, and Zabib Abraham, and Miles Westman, and Maureen Lally, I think, Lely. And they're all excellent, and it's good to, you know, connect with people finally, like to sit and listen again. And uh, finally, Colin, could you give us an example of your work, if that's okay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of my work recently has been looking at my meditation, but uh, let's have a wee contrast of that. That I'm trying to think what might be appropriate to read for you. Let's start with a little meditative poem. Okay. And it's called, you know, a mindful moment poem. 
So it's more like an exercise of what's it like to describe the present moment. Okay. So mindful moment. Every day I see, I hear, my heart beats. This moment, my feet on the floor and the blood through my veins, sitting surrounded by myself. The sound of my pen scratching the page. This moment, what is it? This paying attention, this thought, this moment, this page clear as day, to be aware gently of this now, to welcome myself into this changing now, each new now, to be here with it as best I can be, my hands, my feet, to see and to hear, to feel, to connect with people, to listen, to step back and listen again before stepping forward. This moment is a space I can settle within. And so, I in these crazy times, maybe a little moment to pause. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. But I think often we don't feel meditative and present with everything that's going on. And I, I can also be quite a judgmental person. So I've got a poem here called The Final Word on Other People. Okay, go for which it. Which is about this not being aware or meditative but actually being judgmental. So the final word on other people. I judge you from a distance. I judge you from afar. I judge you with the window up while driving in my car. I judge you in the shower, in the flat I rent alone. I judge you for an hour, saved as voice notes on my phone. I judge you walking in the city and walking through the street as you sit down in the restaurant, choosing what to eat. I judge you as inferior. I know that I know best. I judge you just like everyone, believing that I'm blessed. You judge me, reading from paper on stage. He hasn't memorized. His rhymes are off. It feels too staged and comes across contrived. Let's judge him from a distance. While watching in our chairs, let's judge him with indifference, with an academic air. I judge you like a jilted lover, jealous at the door. I judge you like an absent father who never wanted more. I judge you on the internet. I judge you on my screen. I judge everything you have become and all I could have been. I judge everything you have become and all I could have been. Ah, thanks, Colin. That was brilliant. <laughs> and thank you for taking the time, not just to give us an example of your work, but to talk to me today. It was great to meet you. No, you too. I've seen your website and I've seen your face around. But yes, brilliant to chat to you and thank you for taking the time to, to speak with me.
No problem at all. And to round off this Spoken Word Showcase podcast, I'm now joined by Alice Tarbuck, a literature officer from Creative Scotland. Hello, Alice. Hi, Alistair. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your role at Creative Scotland? Yes. So I am part of the literature team at Creative Scotland, and there are four of us. We are headed up by Alan Bett, who is the head of literature and publishing. And then there are three literature officers who are myself, Harriet McMillan and Kathleen Watt. And our job is working in a number of different ways across the literature sector. So the thing that maybe takes up the most of our time is assessing applications from individuals and organisations who are seeking funding for literature based projects in Scotland. So that might be book festivals applying for funding, that might be an author who would like to apply for time to write or to cover travel costs to go and do research, that might be um, a graphic novelist applying to write a graphic novel or a spoken word artist applying to create a written record or recorded record of their work or for other associated costs for development and training. So that's maybe what makes up the bulk of our job but we have two other kind of primary outputs as well. The first is that we look after regularly funded organisations in Scotland and we maintain those relationships. So for example um, I look after Glasgow Women's Library and Moniac Moore which is Scotland's National Writing Centre and can answer any queries that they might have and essentially kind of manage that funding relationship and then the final part of our job which is um what brings me to you today actually is that we have um targeted funds now we use these targeted funds to um intervene or partner up with organizations in the sector to address what we see as maybe gaps or lack in the in the sector more broadly so a great example of um a targeted funded project would be a project that's currently ongoing in partnership with the Scottish Book Trust um, and that's called the Debut Lab and that takes a range of debut authors whose work came out during the COVID-19 pandemic mm -hmm. and offers them training and a supportive cohort um, after what's been a really bumpy ride for those debut authors. Um, you never want to have to launch your book in a pandemic, it must be said. So that's maybe an example of some of the targeted work that we do. And another example is this event, the Scottish Spoken Word Showcase at EIBF, which has been um, co-programmed and co-curated with Creative Scotland uh, to help highlight the, the Scottish spoken word scene and hopefully bring performance opportunities to spoken word in Scotland more broadly. I mean, it's interesting what you say because if, if debut writers struggled during lockdown, then spoken word performers, you know, equally or even more so because of the nature of what they do. How does Creative Scotland support spoken word performers? So Creative Scotland supports spoken word performers in a really broad number of ways. So spoken word can often fall between some of the different areas or be felt to fall between some of the different art forms in, in Scotland. So for example, um, you might be a spoken word performer with a theatre background, or you might be a spoken word performer who works with music and leans maybe towards hip hop a bit more. Um, but regardless, um, Creative Scotland can support um, spoken word artists in kind of two main ways. The first is through the Open Fund. Now the Open Fund 
is um, the way that individuals and organisations access funding in Creative Scotland and the open funds divided into two subcategories, individuals and organisations. And we can support spoken word artists with many different elements of their practice. So, for example, if you need time to write um, new material, write and develop new material, you can apply to us for um, financial support for that time. You can also apply to us for support with, for example, uh, professional developments, whether that's taking courses or whether that's the opportunity you might have been invited somewhere and need help with travel costs. There are ways of applying to us through the Open Fund to hopefully support some of those things. Um, the other ways that we can help are through kind of organisational support. So, for example, um, among the organisations that support Spoken Word that we funded have been uh, the Loud Poets. Um, who put on a really great programme of spoken word events across Scotland and do so much work uh, to support spoken word in Scotland. Um, we also support small pub, uh, small print presses on occasion to publish spoken word. Now, not all spoken word artists choose to publish their work in the written form, but those that do are, of course, eligible to come in and um, talk about publishing with us. Um, we also offer informal support if people are thinking about making an application or they're not sure what kind of thing might be eligible we're always here we love a chat please come and and speak to us we're, I promise we're not scary um, and the other thing that we do is we have currently secured a small amount of funding for the Scottish Spoken Word Network which is a network of spoken word artists and organisations across Scotland and that's uh, delivered in partnership with Scottish Book Trust um, and we meet to facilitate a space for two things. One is kind of community, a, a chance to share expertise, to share knowledge and hopefully um, collaborate. But the other is to help provide workshops and support for professionalization in the spoken word sector. And what I mean by that is if you are a novelist, uh, if you're kind of what people think of when they think of a writer, quote unquote, um, then you've got a fairly clear pathway to success. You write a book, you hopefully find an agent, agent and hopefully gets you a publishing deal, then you go on to sell your books. Um, however, if you're a spoken word artist, that path to success and what success maybe looks like for you mm -hmm. doesn't look as clear. And we're very aware of um, what we might call the tartan ceiling, um, in that you can be a very kind of famous spoken word performer in Scotland, but you that maybe doesn't translate to national or international opportunities. And it maybe doesn't translate to a high level of revenue because of the way that Scottish spoken word is set up and the way that spoken word is set up more broadly, it's a very DIY culture. So what we're looking for um, in the Scottish Spoken Word Network is really just a place to hopefully facilitate some kind of central sharing of identity sharing of knowledge and some workshops around professionalization so those are a range of ways in which we support spoken word in Scotland but what I would say is if you are a spoken word artist or organization and you feel that you would like to talk to us about support in any of those ways please do because there are other ways in which we can help as well. I think that's a lot of great information that'll be very helpful to a lot of people uh, listening so with that in mind, to follow on from that, um, why are showcases such as this spoken word uh, showcase so important? 
So as you've yourself touched on, um, we have been in a pandemic context, a very unprecedented time that has affected all art forms across Scotland, but particularly live art forms, of which of course spoken word is one. Um, we're still really recovering from that as a, as a broader art sector, and the spoken word sector in Scotland has taken a real hit. Um, the other thing is that it can be really difficult as a spoken word artist to break through whatever that means for you. So to be regularly programmed across Scotland or to take your work further. Hopefully what this will do is make Scottish, British and international programmers aware of some of the brilliant talent that Scotland has in spoken word and encourage them to kind of dig a bit deeper. So although we've got um, performers on stage, we're also hoping that this will attract positive attention to Scotland's really rich spoken word scene more generally. It does seem like a very exciting time uh, for spoken word. Uh, you know, we've mentioned that it was put on a halt as many things were, but before that and since there does seem to be a real excitement around it. I think that's absolutely true. And I think one of the things that I find most exciting about the current Scottish spoken word scene is the way in which it celebrates all of the languages of Scotland. So one of the things I'm really excited about is hearing uh, spoken word artists perform not just in English and Scots, but also in Doric. And I know some uh, spoken word artists who, who use um, other languages that they have. So whether that's Gaelic, whether that's Arabic, whether that's um, Urdu or anything else, hearing that mishmash of languages that you would maybe find really um, difficult to encounter on the page, yeah. when they're delivered to you on a stage, they're brought to life, they're given context, and it's a way of really, we are a nation of many tongues, and I think that spoken word is doing a lot of work to um, remind us of that and to present that in new and really exciting ways. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Alice, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been really enjoyable. It's been such a pleasure, Alistair. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for listening to this Spoken Word Showcase podcast. I hope you enjoyed meeting all of our artists and learning more about what they do. I would like to thank the Edinburgh International Book Festival for inviting Scott Swahey to be involved once again and to all our Spoken Word performers for agreeing to take the time to talk to us as well as Book Festival Director Nick Barley and Creative Scotland's Alice Tarbuck. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to check out more, head over to scottswahey.com where there are over 200 podcasts waiting for you, as well as lots of other things that we do. But for now, take care and I'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.